Lord be with you. Please be seated. And let me pray as we begin. Our great Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given him to us as our great high priest and our sacrificial lamb, who now sits at your right hand in heaven, holy, innocent, unstained, and exalted, yet loving us and caring for us. So we pray, Father, that you will guide us now in your spirit as we gather around your word. To your praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our friends, today we continue our series on the book of Hebrews. And please turn with me to page 1197, uh, Hebrews 8 of the Church Bible. And there is also a guide in the middle of the bulletin. It is on page 7. It is the one on page 7. And our friends, so much of our news, so much of our entertainment, so much of our communications with each other comes to us from the internet. And some argue that the internet is good, while an equally big number argue for the opposite. But I think everyone would agree that the internet influences how we see the world and how our reactions can influence the decisions of those in authority. Let me give a couple of examples on this. Just recently, a, sh a very short 30-second video of a popular restaurant in Kuala Lumpur, how they clean their plates. A video, the video went viral. And this gusted public reaction quickly caused the authorities to close down the, the restaurant. And uh, this was quickly followed by five more in, the, in the, the nearby area. Another recent video showed a father in Taiwan on his daughter's wedding day. And now this elderly man has written a letter to his son-in-law, but he wanted everyone at the tea ceremony to know what he has written. And so as the, as the couple, the newlyweds, kneel, knelt before him, the elderly man, fighting with his tears and not sometimes not succeeding, began to read this letter, and it went like this. He told the son-in-law, the first one to embrace her was me. The first one to kiss her was me. And the first one to care for her was me. Still, it is my wish today that you will be the one who will accompany her for the rest of her life. But if there comes a day when you don't love her anymore, please don't tell her. Come and tell me, and I will take her home. Now, friends, we can feel the sadness of the father of the bride as he faces the, the modern reality of broken relationships, broken marriages, when love dies and marriage vows are broken and the husband-wife relationship is torn to tatters. Our friends, our passage today in Hebrews 8 tells us that unlike humans, 
We have a God. We have a God who will never break his relationship with us. He will never break his covenant, his vows, his promises to us. And as for his love, it is very interesting to note that Hebrews only make four indirect references to love. You can find this in chapter 6, chapter 10, and twice in chapter 13. Unlike in other parts of the Bible, for example, the four books written by the Apostle John, where it is full of references to God's love. But if we read Hebrews carefully, we will find that it is full of God's love. For example, I'll give you a few examples. For example, Hebrews 2 verses 5 to 9, quoting from Psalms 8 about Jesus testing death for everyone. Hebrews 4.14, about our great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, describing God's only Son, Jesus Christ, who has died, resurrected, and has ascended to the throne of grace. Hebrews, speaking about Jesus offering himself as the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice in passages like in chapter 9, in chapter 10, verse 10, in chapter 11, verse 2, chapter 13, verse 2, and 20 to 21. Friends, God in Hebrews showing himself to be our loving God who sacrificed himself to save an undeserving people for himself, a people who could not keep his covenant by themselves. Let me say that again. God's undying love can be shown in Hebrews as God himself sacrificed himself to save an undeserving people for himself, a people who, who could not even keep his covenant by themselves. And as we turn to chapter 8, on page 1197, we read from verse 1, Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Our friends, when we read this, we are reminded that our prime minister this past month has appointed some key cabinet ministers. And this was followed almost immediately by a number of top government officers and heads of agencies and companies quickly resigning and others continuing to resign, even as we... Uh, go into the new week. And suddenly, it is like we begin to see with new eyes what these few people, be they cabinet ministers or top executives in companies and agencies or civil servants, what these people could do. These people have enormous power that influences the well-being and even the lives of over 30 million Malaysians or residents here. The power to be fair and just in a progressive nation to benefit every citizen or to deny the same justice except to the privileged few of the moment. But dear friends, compared to the throne of heaven, how incredibly more absolute and fearsome that power must be and how amazing it is that we have Jesus. We have Jesus sitting there who understands us, for he has been human just like us and knows our every weakness, who will never deal unjustly with us, even though we deserve to be punished. Our friends, this is not Putrajaya. This is, as verse 2 says, the holy places 
built by God. This is God's throne room, the seat of all majesty and might. And we have just been given a glimpse of the heavenly ministry of our Lord who speaks for us and cares for us and continues to watch over us from that incredibly powerful spot, the throne of grace, a throne room that has been made by God himself. Now back to earth. Verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest to have something to offer. Those high priests, friends, who ministered to God's people in the past were mere human agents. They needed to perform sacrifices not only for the people that they served, but also for themselves. There is no comparison with Jesus, for Jesus is divine, divine the sign of man, the son of God, ministering to us before his Father in heaven, whose sacrifice for us is his own flesh and blood. Another amazing thing, if you read verse 4, is that verse 4 says, Jesus, who serves us at, at God's throne room in heaven, would not even qualify to be an earthly priest. Amazing. For the law stipulated that he must come from the line of Aaron, from the Levitical line of priesthood. But Jesus was from the line of Judah. And though the places where those priests served were built to exact specifications given by, Moses, given by God to Moses, a bit of which we read just now in Exodus 25, they were just a copy, a shadow that were pointing towards the real things in heaven where Jesus ministers to us. So what do we see so far? We see that the old system was earthbound, a copy and shadow, and not the real things. Also, we see that human mediators would not be able to keep the law perfectly. Because of their sinful state, they would make the law legalistic, ritualistic, and heartless. The old covenant through the law has become the imperfect covenant, not because it was faulty, but as Romans 8 verse 3 says, the law has been weakened by the flesh. So Jesus Christ has to come to bring a new and more perfect covenant. And here we are given a second glimpse again of that perfect covenant, uh, covenant in verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So how did we humans get the old covenant so wrong? Well, the prophet Jeremiah in verses 8 and 9, written about the year 600 BC, tells us where the fault is. And I'll just pick it up at the end of verse uh, 9, on top of page 1197. The reason was, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. It was because the people were not keeping the law as it was intended to be kept. The people do not have did not have God in their hearts. A worship and obedience were just for show. And as we saw before, it has become legalistic, uh, ritualistic, 
devoid of human kindness and love. The law that was worshipped for itself and what the powerful could get out of it. Power, pride, honour, riches. Today, we see this reflected in good human laws all over the world when they are used without conscience or consideration for the normal citizen, for the weak and the helpless, whatever their race, religion, colour or creed may be. The old covenant was deemed imperfect because it did not lead to the true worship of God and love for His people who were created in His image. God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt, held them by the hand, as it were, and brought them out, gave them canon, and they, and, they, and even their kings had hearts that were made of stone, and they rejected God. So God had rejected them because they did not continue with the covenant. However, the prophet Jeremiah uh, however, pointed to a new, a new perfect covenant that God had promised to establish. Let us first look at the basis of the perfect covenant from the human angle. Because, of course, the true basis of the perfect covenant is Jesus Christ himself. I'll again pick it up at the end of verse 10. The Lord says this way, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and there shall be my people. Rather than on stone tablets from Mount Sinai, God will write the law into human minds and to human, into human hearts. And there is more. Listen to this. God will be our God, and we will be His people. Now, this is not the first time, as you all know, that God has spoken these words or similar words in Scripture. For example, in the Torah and in the historical books, in Exodus 6-7, Leviticus 26-12, Deuteronomy 4-10, 1 Chronicles 11 verse 2. In the Psalms, for example, Psalm 50 verse 7. Or in the prophets, Jeremiah 7, 11, 23, 30, Ezekiel 37, don't worry about them. There are too many of them. Joel 2, 27. The difference here is... In the giving of the new covenant, these words are now spoken by our God who gave himself for us. It is like a new and excitingly powerful statement, intimately loving and personal. God wants us. Your friends, see how, how different it can be with the world. There are so many countries in the world today that do not even want to own their own citizens and then they blame them when they do not feel that they belong. Nations that do not willingly accept their citizens in all their differences and then blame them when they cannot commit themselves to the nation's ideals and hopes and values. But our God, our God is the God who wants us and calls us His people. That leads us to the result of the perfect covenant in verses 11 and 12. And they shall not teach each one his neighbour and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to the, toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Let me just summarise these long two verses. First of all, let's look at the word teach. The words of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9, commanded the Israelite 
to teach all of God's commandments to their children and to bind them into little containers and tie them between their eyes or put them on their doorposts or at their gates. But as Israel's history has shown, even this repetitive memorizing and external exhibition of the law could not make Israel obey the law. But now God has done this. God has internalized that law into their minds and into their hearts. Our secondly, knowing the Lord. We can safely say that this is because of the giving of the Spirit that we can know God as God Himself would want us to know Him. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 to 12, it says that the Spirit reveals God's will to us so that we might understand the things freely given by God to us. And it is His Spirit who is teaching us His law, His will for us, molding us to be more and more Christ-like. Regardless of our status, from the least to the greatest. Now, thirdly, God is merciful and forgives us our sins. Hey, friends, you, we, you and me know we cannot stand before the holy God. Sin will always separate us from Him. By ourselves, we cannot do anything to return to God. It takes God in Jesus to make us right again with Him. And to our final verse in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, God makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant mediated by Moses, though he himself was the prophet of God, has been superseded by the new one. The shadows of the Mosaic covenant has been replaced with the realities of the new covenant in Jesus. That has been achieved through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to glory. The new covenant that is mediated not by a mere human being, but by the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. And as we close this chapter, Hebrews 8, what can we bring home with us this evening? I suggest three things for us. First, confidence and trust. Hebrews 8 makes us aware that nothing is more important or more real than Jesus Christ. We don't need big buildings or cathedrals as if they were the mainstay of our faith. If they are there, it's fine, it's great. But they are not the mainstay of our faith. We don't need the rigid rituals and practices of religion, especially when faith is not in our heads and not written in our hearts. We don't need the shadows when we can have the real thing, Jesus and His promises to us. Friends, we Christians are on a journey, passing through the world, heading for heaven, where Jesus sits on the throne of glory. We need only to trust in Him. He it is who has promised us that He is with us till the end of this age, until He brings us home to be with Him forever. Number three, Humility, uh, number two, humility and service. Now, friends, Scripture promises us this, that when we serve God, the Christian will suffer. Some will lose their friends, some will lose their family, some will lose their social status. Some will be hated because they believed in Jesus. 
But when we stand strong in Jesus, we can serve in humility, not seeking our standing in church or community, but because Jesus calls us so to serve as he has served us. Always remembering that Jesus chose us for himself and wants us to belong to him. And always also remembering who has the absolute power, not only in this life, but in the next life to come. Number three, making Jesus known. Samaria's is called to glorify God together in response to his grace by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We are on a mission, friends, soldiers for and belonging to Christ himself. So I urge you to be, involve yourself in what we do as Mary's. Thanks so much for those who Jer uh, Jerome has told me that so many of you have indicated that they want to help at the Christianity Explored Partnership Activities. Thank you so very much for those who have uh, volunteered. But then, having said that, not all of us are blessed for evangelism, but each one of us can help because nothing is too unimportant. It could be in welcoming, it could be in serving tea or coffee, or it could be at the crash or the kids' church, or it could be in the teaching of the Word, at Bible study or growth groups, or home fellowships, among others. And what is important is that those around us see the change that the knowledge of God has done in us, the humility and the willingness to serve in whatever way, to speak of how Jesus has loved us in our own life. That in itself is making Christ known. So in summary, have full confidence and trust in the new covenant brought in by our Lord Jesus. Seek to serve in humility, not complaining or demanding special privileges or positions. And always, by our service, our speech, and our action, bear witness for Christ, even as the gospel changes us to be more like him. Let us pray. Uh, thank you, Father. We, we thank you for Jesus and the new covenant that you have made in him. And we pray, Father, that um, you would help us to be strong in your spirit, to make Christ known. We pray, Father, that we will heed the law that you have put in our heads and written in our hearts. And so we pray for your wisdom and your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.